Hello and welcome. My name is Raj Pasord and I'm a consultant psychiatrist based in London. And I'm joined today by Victoria, who's going to talk to us a bit about some of her experiences uh, using mental health services here in the UK. Things began to go a bit wrong for Victoria, and Victoria is not her real name. We changed her name to preserve her anonymity. Um, things began to go a little bit wrong for her when she was being brought up in South Africa. And she was a child in what she describes as a very dysfunctional family. And uh, there were a lot of fights between her father and her mother. And she began to self-harm at school. This is uh, when she was quite a young child. How old were you and what was the nature of the self-harming, Victoria? I was probably around nine and I used to self-harm by cutting on my thighs. I think I wanted to really make the pain that I was feeling more physical because then it validated it. It made it um, more okay when I wanted to cry in secret because it really actually physically hurt. You described the fact that you um, would take a big pen and break it so it had a sharp plastic edge and then you would scratch um, words into your thighs. Tell, tell us a bit more about that. Yes, because I did not have razors at my disposal and I had these pens so I was innovative in a way and I used to break these off and I would write if somebody that day said oh you're so fat and you're just like your mother I would start writing these on my thighs fat or mother and so forth. Um, but you would write them so you dig the, 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 the dig would, into your I skin? I would dig the sharp broken edge of, of the hard plastic pan into my skin and make these cuts and scrapes until I was actually bleeding and it was actually hurting. How old were you when this was happening? It started maybe at nine, I think. It was at nine. Um, the other thing is I, I developed much quicker. So a lot of people would have a lot of things to say and I would go home and get away from that by cutting away at myself. So you said because of the dysfunctionality of the family, you got sent to boarding school. Yes. And then we get to around the age of 13 when something terrible happens in terms of the fact that you get gang raped. Mm -hmm. So it starts off with um, you and some girlfriends, I think two other girls, yes. um, go um, absent without leave from the boarding school. You forge your parents' signatures, is it? Yes. To, to say that you're out for the day? We forged our parents' signatures to sign ourselves out. Um, to go to a nearby city, which was about maybe two to three hours drive away from the boarding school, to go meet a friend's boyfriend who was one of the girls I was with. When we got there, we got in the company of this much older boyfriend of my friend and his friends. These people would have been in their 20s to early 30s. He was definitely much older. We were 13, she was 14. Um, and when we got there, they bought us alcohol and drinks and being young and teenagers and impressionable and they were egging us on as well, oh, go on, have a drink, it's just chill, you're not in boarding school. We did. Um, we spent quite a while with them and went to one of the men's apartments. When we got there, it was late now and they just 
really changed tone. They said, now everybody's going to sleep. Um, we've bought you drinks, we've bought you cigarettes, you need to pay for them. The friend's boyfriend did try to reason with them, but they got aggressive with him. So he took my friend um, with him and left the other girl and I there. And the man raped us. How many men were there? There were five. Um, so this must have been a very frightening experience. It was very frightening, very frightening. I was 13 at the time. I'd never had sex before. And I obviously then you've gone Everybody saying, oh, you can't do this, otherwise you're this type of a girl. And they were not being nice about the whole thing. They were very aggressive, hitting us and pushing us. It was very frightening. Did you think you were going to die? I did, because they were threatening us. They, they were threatening us and some of them had weapons and they were hitting us. So they were saying, you're going to do this, I've been to jail so many times, I don't care, the police are going to just arrest me and release me anyway. So it, it was very real. The, the older boyfriend of your female friend, these two disappeared and then came back um, to take you away, but this was several hours later. So there's a sense in which they kind of colluded with this. Yes. Thing. So that must have been very upsetting as well. It was... When I, we got back to boarding school, I, I really struggled to, to almost forgive her and to bridge that gap that in the first place, I signed out to accompany you to go meet this boyfriend. And when this all started happening, you abandoned me and went off to be safe by yourself. And where is the, the loyalty or, and the friendship in this? But they didn't even go and get the police. They, they went didn't. away no. and then came back several hours later after it was all over yes. and took you away. Yes. I, I think given our, our society, it's, I don't want to say it's tolerant, but people turn, they, they don't have that much faith in, in policemen and so forth. They, so. This was a society abroad? This is what yes. was in the UK? Yes, this was the society abroad. Okay, that you were brought up in? Yes. Okay. So, um, you went to stay with your aunt for a few days, I think? Yes. Before going back to school, but you didn't tell anyone what had happened? No, I didn't. The, the following morning, after the friend's boyfriend had come to collect us, I went to my aunt who lived in that city. I stayed for, with her for about two days. After this, my father arranged for me to get back home. Um, and I didn't tell anybody. I couldn't tell my, my aunt. I certainly couldn't tell my father. My father is very strict and he would have, and he did feel that it served me quite right. Because he, he did find out in the end, several he weeks later. He did find out in the end because... And he, and he said, as a result? Um, he found out several weeks later because I did finally disclose to my mum. I was really struggling with this and I came clean to her. I had concerns of, could I have contracted something? Could I be pregnant? And I told her this. She did in turn tell my father, who following their divorce was um, our legal guardian. And he said... It serves her right for signing herself out of boarding school. She should have been in school and she, she chose that and that's what happens if you live in the fast lane. Did it, did it surprise or shock you that your father no, said this? No, not at all. That's why I would not tell my father to start with. Um, it wasn't surprising, but it was very hurtful. Um, and several weeks later, I, 
I tried to commit suicide because it, I've always known my father to be very cold-hearted, but I feel at that point I was feeling so ashamed. And my family as well had quite shunned me, really, that you signed yourself out, you did this, you've disgraced everybody, and it was quite difficult. The school didn't know at first what had happened and decided to expel you because you'd been absent without leave. Yes. We, we did break school rules, which are very strict. So they did the, I, I suppose, the justified action of expelling us from um, the hostels, the actual boarding. They suspended us from school for a term, I believe, and then we went back. Um, my father at the time did um, have me accommodated at a local hotel to finish my school year there. So he was quite angry and he would constantly remind me, I'm now doing this because you've done this. I'm now doing that because... And it, it was a very difficult time for me. So um, eventually you came to the United Kingdom and... Um, then the sort of self-harming continued, but then there was a major sort of suicide attempt after you got a bit overwhelmed at work and there were some problems with a boyfriend. Mm -hmm. Tell us a bit about that suicide attempt. Um, I came to the UK in context to my health difficulties in South Africa and my mother who was um, in the UK at the time took me with her um, to try and get me away from this. I started working in the health sector as a healthcare assistant. I gained a lot of experience working in this, so I managed to get a senior post, but I had to move from where I was living to um, a completely different area. I felt very isolated there, and the post I'd, I'd taken up was a senior post, so there was a lot of pressures as well from work. And uh, coming in from the outside and having to delegate to people who were senior to me um, by age and who'd also been in that home for much longer, there, there was that um, opposition. So with all of this and a relationship at the time that was quite stagnant, it, it all built up to, to the point where I, I didn't want to deal with it anymore and I didn't want to leave anymore. So I took an overdose and I got admitted into hospital. Uh, after that, I had the services, mental health team, the crisis team, um, a social worker and the psychiatrists review not only my medication but work much more intensively with me. So after that, um, your mother was very worried about you because of this suicide attempt, quite a serious suicide attempt. You took quite a large number of sleeping tablets, got mm -hmm. admitted to hospital for a few days. Mm -hmm. So she came and took you back to the country of origin that you came from for yes. a few weeks. And after that, you came back to the UK and you managed to engage a bit more with mental health services. But before that happened, you weren't really engaging. You, you, you said something to me about the fact that you were very depressed and depression means that you tend not to have much faith that services can be of much help. That's correct. Um, before that, I was already um, involved with the services because I reached out to my local GP where I was leaving that I've got these concerns. I am somebody who's 
been diagnosed with bipolar. I've always struggled with depression. And with everything going on at work and such and such and such, I have concerns, I might relapse. And so I'd already had that involvement. However, it, my health was deteriorating anyway. So I, I questioned whether or not they were effective or if anything really I was, I was struggling with at the time could get better. And as I said earlier, this is the nature of the beast in that depression is, is very isolating and it's, it's, it takes away from you the, the hope for a brighter tomorrow, so to speak. Now, you're taking um, various medications. One of them is Abilify, which is an antipsychotic mm -hmm. uh, medication. That's for when people kind of lose touch with reality and begin to hear voices. So tell us a bit about um, why you're taking that. You, you became very religious at one point as a result of your bipolar illness and going very high. I, I've always been religious because of my upbringing. My father was a minister in a church um, and my mother is a religious fanatic. Um, so I've always had that very strict um, religious um, upbringing. So with with this, I suppose, and the, the bipolar, it was a recipe to some extent for disaster. I suffered a manic episode where I had grandiose ideas. I believed that I was almost scored or he was speaking through me. And this clashed with my mother at, at a great deal, being somebody who's very um, religious herself. And I attacked her um, physically and my nephew violently at the time. Later on as well, uh, with sleep deprivation, I believed my sister to be morphing into a demon of some sort. And I think following that, um, they put me on the Abilify and I've been taking it and touch wood, it's working. But you were placed under a section of the Mental Health Act at that time because you went very high. You thought you were God. Mm -hmm. You thought your sister was morphing into a demon Yes. and you attacked her and your mother, I think, because it was conflict. I attacked my nephew and my mother. Okay. And yes, I, I did. I genuinely did. This is why I still almost struggle, even with the insight I've gotten over the years of my condition and my diagnosis. I, I still struggle with that specific incident because I physically attacked my mother and my nephew. I... I almost feel someone still tinges of shame around that. I, I was very out of touch with reality, very, and to, to link that with myself, there's, there's still struggles there. It, it can't have been me. But you're also taking uh, duloxetine and mm -hmm. you're taking um, uh, a mood stabilizing drug in yes. the form of sodium valproate. Mm -hmm. So, um, what, and you're very well, you've been very well since February of this year, you said to me. So, um, what do you think has got you better? I think what has gotten me better is a conscious effort on my part, but most importantly, it's engaging with the services. I think when I started um, working with the CPN and the psychiatrist and um, other teams such as MAPS to not be so isolated, to go back and to form some structure again in my life, I, I started feeling much better and more myself. So 
I, it, I would credit it to the medication, but also to actually engaging with the services. But you went through a period of time where you, you didn't really have a consultant psychiatrist or a psychiatrist. It, it, kept, it kept changing. The, it did. Different people. And that was a difficult time. And the treatment wasn't so good. But you've had the same psychiatrist now for about a year, I think it is. Yes. And that's worked much better. That has worked much better. I think it's consistency more than anything. I feel that when you you are obviously trying to find um, a medication or treatment plan that works for the individual, you will experiment with various things. But I, I also feel that consistency of, of seeing perhaps the same person, building that rapport with them, uh, so they can identify as well when you are actually starting to get unwell or better yet, get well. So seeing the same psychiatrist whom I speak to, I've seen her three times so far. And in that time, I've been able to, at one point, ask, can we tweak this medication? Because I had weight concerns about the one medication I was on that it was um, contributing to weight gain. And I, I think consistency really helps in, in positive relapse management. I think so. What are your hopes for the future? My hopes for the future are to continue to build structure around my life. I want to go back to employment. I'm looking into furthering my education as well. I would like the next 10 years to be 10 years I can look back and say, yes, those were good. Victoria, thank you very much indeed. Thank you.